How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Welcome to Synapse, Think Tank of the Air, featuring influencers, creatives, and thought leaders in the Twin Cities. And now, here is our host, Steve LeBall. Welcome again to Synapse, Think Tank of the Air. I'm Steve LeBall. We're here with three fascinating guests today. We have with us Mark Ritchie, former Secretary of State, and uh, name is associated these days with starting a World's Expo, World's Fair here in, the, in Minnesota. We have Jasmine Russell, who's the founder of Monocat Data, and she's working on a program called the Yellow Summit. We'll find out about that. And then Li Pao Zhang, who's with Concordia University. He, uh, well, he founded and is now the director of the Center for Hmong Studies. He's a professor of all kinds of topics, and he has launched the first ever international Hmong uh, studies. Hmong Studies Conference. Hmong Studies Conference. There we go. Yeah. So now I'm going to ask you, what's your story, Lee? You know, I was uh, direct, uh, director of uh, government community, uh, director of housing policy and development for the city of Minneapolis, and got a call from the president to say, "Hey, why don't you come over to Concordia and start a Hmong um, Studies program?" So I went over there, and in order for me to know who's doing what out there, I decided to do the international conference and get all wow. the scholars from throughout the world to come. Then. I know who's where and who's doing what, you know, and so that's that journey uh, took. About, we just concluded our seventh international conference. Let's put it that way. Wow, and that <laughs> I understand that's not the only call from a president you've received. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I've uh, also served under President Bill Clinton uh, during the Clinton administration, and then also Jesse Ventura. Wow, great, uh, great people. Well, your phone number must be floating around. Everybody can can find you. Jasmine, Jasmine Russell, what's your story? Yeah, I guess you could call me a creative entrepreneur of sorts in different ways. Uh, so the company, Monocat Data, that's putting on the Yellow Summit uh, September 14th, our whole thing is to be the business behind creativity. So there are business organizations that are creative, there are individuals that are creative, but also this there's this whole side of technology behind it. And so the purpose of Yellow, we're really working to bring in all of those individuals so that we can start to have those conversations about tech, have those conversations about issues they're seeing, and so it's been a really exciting time to just kind of be in this evolving niche space and see what's happening around the country. Well, the Yellow Summit, is that the color that happens when you, your right brain meets your left brain? You know, it could be. It could be. Okay. I like that. I like okay, that. Okay, the little synapses. <laughs> it goes right back to our title. And Mark Ritchie, we kind of know what you've been up to, but tell me your story. Well, I spent eight years as Secretary of State, and the thing that I loved every single day was getting to brag about Minnesota. And of course, when I was <laughs> retiring after two terms, and I promised I would serve two terms, and I did, um, I was thinking, well, what would I do? How would I take this favorite thing, bragging about the state? And a couple people from St. Paul called me up and said, hey, how'd you like to help us figure out about bringing a World's Fair to Minnesota? And because as a boy, my folks had packed 
myself and my three brothers together and driven out here from the prairie to New York and camped on the Long Island Sound. We went to the New York World's Fair, 1964, and mm. all of a sudden there were driverless cars and you know cell phones. And there weren't cell phones, but phones where you could see the person. And I thought, wow, maybe I should get engaged. Maybe I should think about the future. And so the minute they asked me, I said, well, you know, this is something our young people should have the opportunity for. And it's also a chance to, for Minnesota to show off. You know, we're not so good about bragging. I'm not so bad, but others are, are less so. <laughs> You're a we leader. love to show our place off, and um, we could make this happen. And so uh, we're on the track to make that happen in the summer of 2027. And I want to get Minnesotans just more comfortable with bragging. Mm. <laughs> okay, tricky, well, tricky. well, gee, well, uh, Jasmine, you're not from Minnesota. Did you learn to brag in Indiana? You know, Indiana, it's it's a different kind of energy in Minnesota than Indiana. Uh, but I think it, in Indiana, they're uh, a little more blunt. They've got that kind of East Coast vibe and influence while you have like the southernness of Kentucky right at the bottom. So I, I think it's a good mix of kindness, but also mixed with like telling you like it is so that you can move forward. Yeah. Do people catch you bragging? You know, I'm not a I'm not a bragger. I, I really like to do the work. I think it's really important just to move through it, show your results first and not get caught into a lot of talk. But at the same time you do have to, you know, boast your feathers every now and then. <laughs> no, no, Leap, you're not from Minnesota. No, I'm not from Minnesota. You know, actually, I'm, I'm from Laos and uh, came to the United States on October 22nd, 1976, sponsored by a Mennonite church in Morgantown, Indiana. So I oh. grew up in oh. <laughs> moved up here in 79, but, you know, Minnesota, I love Minnesota. I've been bragging about Minnesota <laughs> as <laughs> well. So <laughs> you, you, you learned how to brag. Absolutely. You, you know, I, I, uh, in, the, in the 90s, I went down to California and I said, come to Minnesota because we have the Great educational system, plenty for jobs, and quality of life is wonderful here. Come here. In fact, one of the key leaders in our community said, Lipao, why don't you go and find a place for the Hmong people to go live? And I said, Minnesota's the place. Where else would we want to go? <laughs> and he actually moved to Florida and came back to Minnesota. Hmm. So this is the best place. I mean, this is the best place. Well, I love all the greenery and everything except the... Traffic in Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about that Hmong Sports Festival, the biggest one on the world? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it's coming up. It's uh, July 2nd, and uh, so it's at Como Park, and over 40,000 people from throughout the world converge uh, around that, those little soccer fields there. You know, Not so, to mention a lot of politicians. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> a lot of shaking hands going on there. Absolutely. Well, what... what that's kind of what we have in common. I mean, I'm working on a, a, a kind of an event too for during in, a, in and around Startup Week because one of their founders said, "Well, uh, we kind of envisioned Startup Week to grow beyond itself to become more of a regional festival." So I'm going to take a look at that in a half day conference and see what would that entail and and who would get involved that's not there now. Mainly, it's you know a bunch of younger. Uh, male techies, mainly mainly white people. And so what would it be like to diversify that both in terms of, of people, but also in terms of, of different fields, such as art, mm-hmm. such as, you know, education, and such as, well, I don't know if we want the politicians in there or not. <laughs> but, but you've graduated from politics, Mark. Well, I, uh, you know, I've spent my life working on issues, and there was a time I felt like the democracy was in trouble and somebody needed to step forward and say, I'm here to defend the democracy. I'm here to defend people's right to vote. I'm here to make it possible for anyone and everyone to run for office who would like to express that 
part of, part of public service. And, um, you know, so I, I was uh, uh, called to that office in that way. But I've been very uh, alarmed in the last couple of years since I've left the office. It seems like democracy is still in trouble. And so some work like defending freedom and defending democracy is kind of be lifelong work for many people, I hope for most people. And um, uh, it just seems at this moment it's, um, it, it's a subject of much public debate. So we'll kind of see what happens this year. Well, right. I mean, um, you're thinking globally. And it's kind of tough for an American to go abroad these days and brag about how great the United States is, even though we're supposed to be making it great. I think we, we've not done a very good job of elevating the diversity that exists within our community. You know, I remember when I was the director of the State Council on Asian Pacific Minnesotans, and um, we were always like, you know, get uh, bothered by the fact that uh, during May Asian Heritage Month, we get no coverage at all, right? So I decided to organize the first ever Asian American festival to say, we're going to bring, we're going to do a festival and we're going to do it within the community. People know about our, the art, you know, the culture and all that, but I want people to also focus on the economic contributions of the AAPI community to the state of Minnesota, to this region. And so we did it in along University Avenue. And the first time the city kind of rebelled, the city said, we can't close down University Avenue because it's a major <laughs> thoroughfare. And I said, why not? You did for Concord Street. You did for Grand Avenue. You did for Rice Street. And those are all major thoroughfare. <laughs> and so in the end, they allowed us to block off one side of University Avenue and do our festival. But that festival turned into the Dragon Boat Festival now, which hmm. happens over at Phelan Lake. Well, I was going to say they shut down University Avenue to build the light rail, too. I think that's that right. <laughs> wouldn't it's let a that get of, by. It's a matter of priorities, right? It's a matter of priorities. And so if you have the, prior, the right priority things would get done. Well, it, it's kind of like those protests that we've seen now making a lot of laws to uh, kind of limit protests or have them go in some alley somewhere then take over the freeway. But the ho- whole point of a festival or a protest is to be seen and to have people know that it exists. It's yeah. Instead of being off the agenda of the media and everyone else, mm-hmm. it's like step forward and, and, and let's take a look at this, whether it's Minnesota or the interface between art and technology or, or just the, the contributions of the Hmong community. Yeah, I mean, and like I, I like I said, you know, you don't have to go to Peking, I mean, to Beijing to get your Peking ducks. You don't have to go to <laughs> Vietnam to get your food, right? You don't have to travel to Laos to get your mustard green. You can do all of that in Frogtown. <laughs> and, uh, and we don't want you to come and stop by the restaurant just for lunch, but you can come there for dinner as well, you know? And so that's the kind of message that we want to get people. We want to transform people's thinking, right? And, and because they always all make assume that, well, it's not safe. And, and so they're Nicollet Mall on Thursday. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Transform their thinking and their eating habits. Absolutely. And, uh, well, Mark, by the way, I went to one of the World's Fairs they had in uh, Nagoya, Japan, a few years back. And uh, speaking of eating habits, the Mexican pavilion ran out of refried beans. So. <laughs> you have to plan for millions and millions of people. And so, uh, you know, I'm excited that you had a chance to see a World's Fair and to see one overseas in another, another context. And this is one of the elements of U.S. foreign policy back in the 1990s, turning into the 2000s. There was kind of a withdrawal from different kind of institutions globally. 
We stopped paying our dues to the United Nations. We dropped out of UNESCO, UNICEF, all kinds of, you know, the American, the Global Cotton Council and many other things. And there was a lot of pushback from people. And um, one of those kind of casualties of that was we sort of stopped hosting World's Fairs in this country, but we continued to participate in the ones held around the world. And so lots of people around the planet have, you know, had the opportunity to be part of that a lot of students and young people from the U.S. got a chance to be a, you know, kind of a it's student ambassador is the name they use. But this opportunity is important in terms of the U.S. and the world. But it's also important to invite people to come mm-hmm. to Minnesota or mm-hmm. wherever it might be. And um, when we've been out talking to foreign ministers or heads of state or different ambassadors, um, you know, we're able to get them excited, and sometimes they're confused. They go, Mayo, isn't that in Rochester, New York? And we go, no, <laughs> no, it's very important, but it's in Rochester, Minnesota, and that sort of thing. But sometimes they'll stop and say, this was uh, the ambassador from Nicaragua. Uh, he said, oh, we have such a warm place in our heart for the people of Minnesota because he knew a project Minnesota Leon, which is a sister city relationship. I think it's 30 some years old and he had been here and people from here had gone to Nicaragua to help build a college on the Atlantic coast, I think. And so he knew of our interactions and he was very, very familiar with that. The ambassador uh, from the foreign ministry of Cuba said, Oh, I was back home. This was in Paris. He said, I was back home in Cuba when the Minnesota orchestra came to Cuba uh, and played. I think it's a couple of years ago now. And he also knew that young musicians, cello and violins and viola from Cuba were going to be in Minnesota for part of an exchange. So around the world, people have particular things that might trigger their understanding. Um, I was with the ambassador from Laos in both Washington and in Paris, and both of them made jokes about how many people you know, there are in Minnesota and from Laos. And they just were very aware and they had cousins and this and that. So came here multiple times. Yes. And so it is a way of welcoming the world and being in the world that gives Minnesota kind of a leg up in some things like a World's Fair bid. And I think that that warmth that you mentioned in uh, Lee Powell, you talked about it a little bit too, and people not feeling like they have to go somewhere else mm-hmm. to really find an event is so important. But I also think there's another level to it of people feeling like they have a festival or a summit somewhere where they can really find others that have similar thoughts, similar mm-hmm. uh, cultures, backgrounds, practices with their businesses. And also we're in such a world of just information overload uh, that doesn't always have that personal touch. So I think that the festivals and summits, they really give that opportunity where people can start to get from behind the screen <laughs> and also just just experience things firsthand, talk firsthand. And I think that's where some real exchanges start to happen within Minnesota as far as the economy. Yeah, I think interacting, getting people to interact with each other, to come together, to say, you know, it's okay to go to the Grand Ole Day, you know, parade. <laughs> it's okay to go to Cinco de Mayo. It's okay to go to the, uh, you know, Hmong Freedom Festival. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be Hmong to go to those places. You don't have to be white to go to those places. You don't have to be, you know, African-American to enjoy the Rondo Festival, you know. And so it's it's okay. It's open for everybody. And I think creating 
educating the community, the populace itself, mm-hmm. that it's okay to do those kind of things and to get out of the house. Yeah, <laughs> that education piece, I mean, that's exactly what we were thinking about with the Yellow Summit. Uh, creatives are so overlooked. I mean, there is this piece of creativity where you just have to produce. Uh, but for us, we really are serving the larger creative economy with Monocat data. So we now, see, now, who is the creative economy? Yeah, so from our perspective, we're serving um, individuals designers, there's design firms in there, you have your entertainment labels of course there's artists in our organizations that also includes event planners, Uh, you may have uh, individual contractors anyone who may be producing something, product designers they consider themselves to be within the creative economy and with that the strategy behind it is something that's often put with a corporation or maybe a nonprofit and providing those funds or some type of overlooking overarching larger program where the creatives can sit in um, but if we don't have those conversations of how those creative businesses are running individually how are we really supporting the creative economy so that it does bolster up not only the corporations but those individual movers that are doing things behind the scenes. Well, my understanding is that Minnesota is making a big effort to attract those creatives to the Twin Cities to bolster the economy. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the movement of the National Arts Council, the Crafts Council of America moved to Minnesota, I think from New York, because the citizens had voted here in Minnesota to add to our sales tax to create a fund for funding the arts with other things, with heritage and culture and protection of the water. But that American Craft Council decision was a reflection of the kind of citizens here, I would say, devotion to and support of. And we're sometimes talking about the fact we have the most theater seats of any city but New York, Mm -hmm. maybe the most comedy seats uh, per capita. And and our Minnesota Book Awards is really the premier. And, you know, we have these organizations and now some recognition of special housing needs and special studio needs. And we're starting to see some projects in certain neighborhoods. Now we have our district, our arts district, and and, uh, Lower Town and St. Paul, kind of the the lead. And St. Paul has a special arts fund. And And today starts starts the jazz festival. Jazz festival, incredible, you know, which has grown and grown. But I think this recognition that Jasmine is talking about, it kind of just happens. And for most people, they're just the beneficiary. They can go to a festival and just enjoy it. But then they might get brought in, let's say, to the Fringe Festival. And all of a sudden, they're part of a new community of friends. And they're seeing this incredible machine that's making this very large international film festival. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. So somehow it's not taking away the enjoyment factor so people don't come out, but it's a reminder that all of us, including our kids and our parents and our friends, need to be taking our part in the making that happen. Maybe you're just on the board of Cantus or the film festival. Maybe you're a volunteer. That's one of those really serious volunteers. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you're the creative person. Maybe it's been inside yourself and now you've retired and you can do your thing but we have to find ways for more people to be able to enjoy that another thing i like about all these festivals is they bring people together i mean you might meet more people from other cultures at a festival than you wouldn't if you go to a different neighborhood here in the Mm -hmm. twin cities so there's that's one of the the goals we have uh, at synapse and with this uh podcast 
We'll be back in a moment after this uh, to talk with our guests, Mark Ritchie, Jasmine Russell, and Lee Paljong. Synapse, Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back with Synapse Think Tank of the Air, and we have a lot of key thinkers. They're not only thinkers, they're doers. They're out making things. Uh, Li Pao Zhang has made, well, he's made a a department of Hmong studies at the uh, University of Concordia in St. Paul, and also an annual international Hmong studies uh, conference that he holds there. I went to part of that. Uh, Jasmine Russell, you've been making things ever since I met you. You've, uh, uh, this is, what, Monocat data is your business. What number of business is it that you've conceived? <laughs> yeah, so Monocat data is definitely like it's the creative uh, business that's helping uh, these groups through technology um, and also data management in the creative economy. Uh, but then there's also the fourth wall that I'm working on. Uh, so the fourth wall, I'm a co-worker with uh, also Cassie Utt and some other collaborators, and we're working to build a co-working space for performers. So um, as Mark mentioned before, we're number two for theaters per capita outside of New York, and there's a huge shortage of just rehearsal space. But more than that, not just um, rehearsal space, but making sure we're connecting with those people who are dual professionals. So maybe they're working by day and then they're performing by night. So they need that kind of duality in a, a space. In your space for your uh, conference, the Yellow Summit in what, September 14th? September 14th, yes. It's uh, really exciting. We're going to be at Vandalia Tower and we'll be in three spaces. So we'll be in the Film North space, SPNN, and then the Gremlin Theater area as far as our main kind of announcement area and speaker platform. Hmm. Uh, The thing I like about theater is that you're creating a new reality for people um, so they can uh, do a couple different things. One, get away from their ordinary everyday reality, which might be routine and, and boring. And it also allows them to maybe think about things they never thought before. And that's the same kind of thing you would do at a conference or a festival. You meet new people, you, you, but you also gain new ideas. I like that cognitive part. Yeah, you, you connect people together and uh, people with like-minded, I would say, or something that, you know, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about that subject and I want to, I want to learn more about that. And now they're able to connect with somebody in China. You know, so because our international conference, we have people from Japan, China, Laos, Thailand, Germany, Belgium, all of the place. And uh, so it, it's great that to get calls from people and say, hey, I'm traveling to China. Do you know anybody over there? And it's like, yeah, contact this person. That person will take you and show you around. You know, So it's it's that connection. I think the human, the people-to-people connection is the most important piece. That's the, that's the joyous part of uh, this kind of work. <laughs> and it was also kind of a showcase. You showed off some contemporary Hmong performers. Absolutely. We which, always, yeah. And it wasn't traditional Hmong <laughs> no. uh, uh, entertainment. Uh, back in the early 80s, I had an assignment for one of the radio stations I was with to cover the Hmong New Year. Mm. And so one of the items on the agenda was Hmong disco dancing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, gosh, what is Hmong disco dancing? And it turned out to be the most popular event at that. Oh, you yeah. know, otherwise, people are scattered around eating or whatever, but they all gather around the stage for Hmong disco dancing. Mm-hmm. And what it was was Hmong girls disco dancing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was it. But it was very, very popular. Yeah, I think, you know, for our conference, we tried to 
you know, we try to promote some of the local artists and uh, performance artists and, and, and even fashion people. You know, one year we had uh, Oscar Lee doing a fashion show with her old couture clothing. I mean, holy smoke, it blew me away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. I never thought about that, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, allowing people to, allow, presenting them to the international community. And allowing the international community to say, wow, you know, there is some really cool stuff here. Um, And I think that that's, you know, that's the other part to the conference, not just purely academic, but other aspect of it as well. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's, you know, one of the most important parts about it. That's what people are attracted to. Either your speakers, the vendors you may have, the experience they may gain from it, um, but the speakers that you can elevate with these festivals and conferences, um, bringing in people not just within Minnesota, but also thought leaders from different Mm -hmm. parts of the world, that's such an important part of just being able to collaborate with community collectively to push their ideas forward. Yeah, and and sometimes just moving beyond the usual suspect, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and allowing other people to shine. And we always, often we gravitate towards the people that we know. And it's like, you know, hey, you know, this other person is doing really great. You know, let's allow them a platform well, to do so. I, I think there's that's the other side of the Minnesota lack of bragging is there's a sense of a Minnesota inferiority complex <laughs> that if you're from New York, you must be better somehow. You're a better actor, <laughs> you're a better singer, whatever you are, you're better. And uh, and if you're from London, oh my gosh, we're a colony again. You know, we'll, we'll praise <laughs> the king and attend the royal wedding and you name it. So what do you see when you go out uh, looking for money, Mark, to, to fund these things? I mean, these things must cost a couple dollars. Well, I, I think one aspect of what we do here in Minnesota that is, you know, helps to distinguish us, because that's one of the things, is just taking this conversation about the creativity and theater, and we've kind of specialized in having the incorporation of, like, Dudley Riggs's creativity stuff into our conferences, so, um, people doing mime and applying that to public policy or Improv, Lord, we have mm-hmm. improv as being part of conference planning now and conference uh, performance. And so um, even uh, Circus Juventus, having those young people come and do whatever they do that blows the minds of all those people sitting in those chairs and thinking, oh, my goodness gracious, if they can do that, what can we do? So I've also believed that we've had the advantage of that sort of maybe coastal envy or other parts of the world, they're doing all this stuff. And so we try to know more to understand and trying to say, oh, we must be way behind. And when people come here, they go, man, we haven't seen theater <laughs> like this. I mean, they, they're so, oh my goodness gracious. And so when we've hosted things like the Global Choral Festival, it's been quite a few years we're trying to actually get that scheduled again for when we do an expo. But, you know, to have fest of choral groups, the finest of every country, come here from around the planet, be able to appreciate what they do and for them to be able to hear. I mean, it it's the kind of thing that is humanity reaching for its best angels and culture is the place where that crosses over. Yeah. And um 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that's so true. And these events do cost. I mean, the cost of these events and getting sponsors, getting um, that support, that's really how you push your event in many ways. I, I would really like to see even more cross collaboration collaboration across like the festivals that I don't see as much here. I see that in some other um, markets, but not so much here. But I do think that's because Minnesota is very competitive. And like you're saying, Mark, like there's almost like this um, surprise of, oh, this is what things look like. But I think Minnesota has such a high standard. I mean, we are one of the top cities in the nation for corporations, organizations. There's a lot of um, competitiveness, creativity that's moving out of here. And so like with Yellow, it's like for our sponsors and partners that we're looking for, are you tied to creativity? Are you supporting creativity in different ways? How does this experimental a conversation of technology fit into your organization. And I think that's where we really start with Yellow Partners on our end for funding. Yeah, and I think it's it's really marketing to people that market to our population, right? <laughs> and so you have a lot of college students. Are, you looking for, are you looking for uh, uh, people to come to your campus, right, after they graduated? You know, they're going to come and do graduate school. Well, those are the entities that we reach out to the colleges and universities, and then uh, people that are employers. You know, we were looking for some talents, young talents, and here you are. You bring them from throughout the the world here, and we have an opportunity to tap into it. And so, those are the some of the sponsors that we look for. And uh, but at the same time, you know, we always encourage our sponsor. We give them free tickets and say, okay, come in and go and participate in these things. We wanna we want them to be fully immersed in the experience and not just a participant, not just sitting behind a desk, you know, uh, trying to market their stuff. (laughs) Wearing a big button. That's right. I mean, I I think that's a a good piece of it, Lee Powell, like the longevity of it is what I'm also hearing in there too. It's the relationship. Yeah, you Mm -hmm. don't just want the dollars. You want to make sure that you have attendees that can continue on to be future volunteers Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. even future supporters or advocates for their organizations to attend the event. There's kind of a movement lately among big business, uh, especially since the recession or, or since the collapse of Wall Street. Um, John Taft in town, uh, who used to run RBC uh, uh, Wealth Management, he wrote a book called The Greater Good, and it was basically an anthology and a follow-up on a previous book saying that uh, we have so much bad karma from the uh, financial street falling in, it's now we're now obligated to forget about just chasing the dollar and realize our true goal is the greater good. Mm. So we have to, we, of course you have to make money. We're mm. capitalists here. They're, you know, they're, they have to do that. Mm. But they're also seeing something uh, broader. And I saw another uh, presentation just a few weeks back about that same thing, that now unless you see the greater good, your business is going to fail because if you don't take care of your employees, if you don't take care of the environment, if you don't take care of the the the, the culture in your community, people are not going to want to work at your place. Mm-hmm. And this uh, kind of broader movement, I would say, has really taken off on a, at a global level to the point where um, the United Nations a few years ago, the heads of state signed a kind of global agreement about 17 specific goals you know, some of them have to do with health, some have to do with food and maternal health and many different things. But we've been able to take our theme, which is healthy people, healthy planet, 
and talk to anybody from any other place on the planet and say, well, you know, within those global goals for sustainable development, the ones on health are ones that really are things that people are interested in, reducing infant mortality every place, maternal health, reducing road crashes. We've got all kinds of people working on distracted driving and drunk driving and making our roads safer. Non-communicable diseases or chronic diseases, obesity and diabetes and things that we know are doing damage to our health that are diet-related and lifestyle-related and how we build our buildings and how we build our streets. And kind of globally, you see um, not a convergence necessarily, but an aspirational coming together, like we want the best possible world for our kids and their kids. What do we need to do and how can we help each other? And so when we talk about our theme for the Minnesota World's Fair being health and wellness, people go, oh, that is a really important subject. And they'll tell you a story about their family or they'll tell you a story about their community or an epidemic or, you know, they'll have something that connects to their lives. But they also want to talk about how taking care of ourselves is part of that process how the community has a responsibility together and how the world has to think about whether it's how fast climate is changing and how that's affecting insects and disease. I mean, all these things. So we've found that something that is a real strength in our community. You know, we're the place on the planet where a lot of people talk about alternative medicine and holistic medicine, and we have the Mayo Clinic. In Rochester, Minnesota, Minnesota, yeah. Right here. (laughs) You know, we have Medtronic and the most advanced technology. We also have the most bike paths and people working out. So we have this combination of different ways of taking care of ourselves and taking care of each other. And that's an important way that we will attract people for this World's Fair. But we also are people who are open to learning from others' experiences. And mm-hmm. the Consul General from China was here last week. It, um, Global Minnesota's honoring China this year is the big gala. And he was talking about their 5,000 years of Chinese and, and um, oriental medicine development, 5,000 years of having a practice of medicine and of healing and of taking wellness into the heart and into the life. And I was just thinking about that part of Minnesota, which is we're real proud of things that we've done, but we also are really wanting to learn from others and conferences and these events bring people here. We get to learn, but also we know that when somebody comes here, then they suddenly go, oh, they might come back to visit if they're, one of their kids wants to go to school here, they might think that's great. Or it just might be something that when they meet a Minnesotan someday, they go, oh, I was in Minnesota once. It was fantastic. But there is something about interacting with people from around the planet that they want to share and they want to learn. And then all of a sudden, people are humanizing each other. And it's an important time for us to be humanizing as much as we can. There's a lot more diplomacy, citizen to citizen, there is from our mm-hmm. leaders sometimes. Yeah, I think the like the the word interaction makes me think about like the influx of interaction that we're in right now. Digital interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, we don't have the luxury of being able to step back from information, and so I think with that, there's 
so much noise and conversation of news, whether it be good or bad, where people don't have the choice not to look at the greater good. I mean, look what's happening this week politically. Uh, There are just so many stories that have been happening around the country where it's forcing people to take recognition. And so when you look at the the marketing campaigns that have happened, whether it be a Pepsi or Shea Butter or, you know, there, there are so many examples of big brands that have made small or huge mistakes that they thought, oh, this will go over fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's transforming how brands are starting to put out uh, different things. And that trickles down to also festivals as well and events and summits. How, who are you actually serving? What message are you actually saying? And that even trickles into your vendors that you choose. Are you being health conscious? Are you green conscious? Are you culturally conscious? And if all of those factors aren't thought about beforehand, in, in many cases, now making sure that you're really in touch with those community uh, thoughts and leaders and how that uh, festival design or summit design may affect them, you can really uh, throw your whole plan off course. But I think that's um, um, an amazing issue that we're we're moving through. Someone suggested, why don't you find Starbucks as a sponsor? And it's like, well, they'd probably be glad to be identified with something positive. But it's it's uh, you don't jump at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you you know you need to evaluate the friends that you align yourself with carefully, right? And to make sure that uh, you're not being used to promote their, somebody else's agenda. But at the same time, to say, hey, you know, we have an alignment of uh, of, of goals, and uh, and so therefore, it fits well with us, and it fits well with you, and let's let's be partner in this, and I can help you, and then you can help me. Uh, so I think that you know, for us, we do need to be strategic about who we identify ourselves with, uh, and in moving forward, and whether it's funding, whether it's whatever, you know, uh, so. I think it's it is important for corporations out there to you know again to look at themselves internally. I mean, we just saw on, on social media is amazing nowadays, <laughs> and we just saw a post by a, a museum, local museum. I won't name who, but uh, the translation was all wrong. We said, well, you know, we our community came and patronized the museum quite often, and but you never took the time to really check out whether your translation is correct or not and you blast it out there. If you don't care about us, why should we care about you? You know, and, and uh, so it's, it's a lot of these young people, now young people are, are really social justice oriented <laughs> and they're very politically savvy out there. And so I think that it is important for, uh, for all of us, you know, to, to be uh, mindful of that and, and to be strategic in, in what we do. Another word is authentic. I mean, yeah. talk about branding. Unless you have the, the solid depth to back it up, mm-hmm. uh, your branding is pretty shallow. I mean, uh, you know a lot about Hmong studies. I see on Facebook, you go over to China a lot, yes. right, to the, <laughs> to the ancient Hmong homeland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know what you're talking about. Yeah, we have, uh, again, a 5,000-year-old history in China. And uh, we still have about 9 million, close to 10 million Hmong people living in China. I mean, that's the conversation I have with the... Uh, President Clinton at the Oval Office when he was there, and I said, we have about nine million in China. He said, what? How many? <laughs> and I, said, <laughs> and I and thought I, <laughs> I thought he knew everything. We're here on uh, uh, Synapse Think Tank of the Air talking with uh, 
Mark Ritchie, Jasmine Russell, and Lee Paljong will be back in a moment. Synapse, Think Tank of the Air, will be back in a moment. And we're back with Synapse Think Tank of the Air. Um, talking about Minnesota's depth in terms of healthcare, that's very authentic with all of our uh, technology companies, uh, Medtronic, and uh, even 3M puts out some medical devices, uh, Boston Scientific, et cetera, Mayo Clinic. So, Mark, tell me about how this effort kind of spun off into an event we'll see later this year. Well, the um, purpose has always been to help our own community also know more about who we are as a people. So, for example, Mayo, people think of Mayo as this sort of big place, and that's kind of what they know. But the story of this incredible tornado where so many were killed, more than 100, and the sisters, the nuns in the city who were taking care of everybody along with Dr. Mayo, who was there because the Civil War, he had been the, you know, the person uh, checking Union volunteers going into the Army. That's how he ended up there. And the nuns said to him, um, you know, we, we need to have something like a hospital here in our city. This was a terrible disaster. We had no facilities. We, the nuns, will build a hospital and we'll staff it with our sisters. Uh, that nun happened to be from Lutzenberg. She was, you know, a new immigrant. And uh, please, would you and when your sons grow up, your sons be the doctors? And at first they were reluctant. That wasn't what they were doing. He was a family doctor. Uh, but at some point, a very persuasive mother superior, and they, they have her honor down in their <laughs> this, museum. It was an act of God. <laughs> well, and they use terms like organized kindness, in other words, that then give us the understanding that in fact, much of what we are in terms of how we express it in our lives, organizing kindness, just being a, a beautiful word to talk about medical care. In fact, there were there were stories. In Medtronic's story, it was a boy who had an external uh, device to make his heart beat properly and they lost electricity. That's something that happens occasionally in bad snowstorms and other times in Minnesota. And they they freaked out in the hospital over at the university and they said, oh my gosh, what is is there a way we could do this with the battery? What could we do? And Earl Bakken was a tinkerer, engineer, and at home in a garage, literally, he said, well, yeah, I think I could rig up something, you know, with a battery in case this happens. And then then they will, well, that's interesting. Could you make one small enough so it could be strapped on? So, mm. you know, and, and so on it goes and on it goes until this kind of inventing for health becomes part of who we are as a people. And so these are stories that are important to find many different ways to tell. And so um, lots of um, uh, effort has gone in as part of our World's Fair bid to invite people to come here. And so a number of different events have already occurred. We had a big innovation conference a couple years ago in, in the Science Museum. We had a big symposium that was uh, part of our bid in Paris. There'll be other events. Um, in the fall, there'll be a number of different uh, medical, wellness, health-related events and now in next following spring, um, uh, one of our, our important sponsors, um, Northwestern Health Sciences University, 
will be hosting the National Food Tank Food Conference because of the relationship between food and health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So I think there'll be a lot of things going on here that will bring people from around the planet. So that's one of our secrets. When you invite somebody to come speak, then you can take and show them your site for your World's Fair bid and your plans and get them excited. But also we help our whole community begin to see more deeply who we are as a people. And um, once you start down the road of getting somebody interested in health and wellness, they all start to tell you some part of their story. And in Minnesota... Um, whatever it is, you can find ways to connect. So we, we have very special theater here, Interact. You know, it's not a theater that's well-known, but it's one of the only ones on the whole planet that directly connect um, actors and actresses and musicians with different kinds of mental and physical disabilities, with uh, actors and musicians with normal dis- mo- normal disabilities, normal abilities, to make magical, globally recognized theater. And so you can take a mom or a dad who are struggling with all that they're facing and so many kids now born on the autism spectrum or born with Down syndrome or whatever, and all of a sudden there's ways to say, oh, there's this way of cultural expression. Oh, isn't that amazing? And so we see these events building up our global support for our bid, but we also see related events helping our broader community get a much deeper and more complex understanding of who we are as a people, especially around something as personal and universal as health and wellness. Right, that reaches everybody. Mm-hmm. The, um, another thing that reaches everybody to uh, transition to to Jasmine is the difficulty with technology. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where there's just one little thing you don't know, and it's a total roadblock. You can't get there from here. Just be, and and it could be just where to put the little clicker thing, you know. Uh, and then as an older person, I have a lot more of those than than younger people. The younger people are grown up, kind of already implanted with some sort of an iPad or something. But uh, you're. You're young, <laughs> not implanted with one, but uh, you were talking to me once about technology, and I couldn't even understand what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, you know all that stuff. Yeah, I think, I mean, it is interesting, and also, like, very very creepy to see, like, little cousins of mine that are, like, two or three just fully pick up the phone and then look into the function of it and know exactly how to put it into kids mode so that they can get to the game that they want and then turn it off. And on top of that, start to record pictures and videos of their parents at like four and five. That is unbelievable. And their parents aren't aware they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, parents also, are asking for help. They're asking for help. <laughs> they're asking for help. They're trying to figure it out. Uh, but I, I think that that's also, I mean, there's two things in that. I think that shows the capability of one, the human brain and how expansive it really is at such an early age and how easily it can be influenced into uh, getting into patterns and making decisions. But at the same time, when you think about um, technology applications, nowadays, the the directions they're moving in as far as markets like what we're in with creative technology, you see it all over the place. You see it within movies. Just look at the credits at the end of things like Black Panther or 
any kind of 3D digital, you'll see multiple technology houses that have created those visuals. You think and there's about, a long list of names. Mm-hmm, the applications mm-hmm. that we have, looking at healthcare, looking at political applications of technology. I mean, we're in a time now where people are hacking things on the positive side. You do have your, your black market hackers as well, and those skills are needed. But at the same time, you, you need those hackathons into ideas so that we can start to apply things in new ways. And I think that's where Minnesota really has a leg up. We are a market that continues to try and reinvent and also uh, push into new things because we do have that high standard. And so for the Yellow Summit and moving into this world of creative tech, it's such a niche field of really focusing on uh, what's happening with creatives and how they use technology and also how you measure that with indexes and per capita. And really, when you look at some of the other major conferences around the world and country, like Kodame or Technart- Technarte or MIT Hacking Arts, all of these conferences are still within their infancy under five years. So the space is really evolving. And with the Yellow Summit, we thought, well, we need to have some type of kind of fortress here because there are so many technology ideas that have been evolving in Minnesota. And a lot of them, go, going back to health, there's a lot of uh, medical devices that use your phone to you know, do everything, but check your heartbeat, almost like a, a, a remote doctor can, can look at you and you can... Uh, show them what's wrong, and then they can uh, 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 diagnose you from afar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think technology does everything. Um, we did a conference, you know, eighty. To, we did a survey, 80 to 90% of the people heard about the conference through Facebook. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and when the, we did the uh, uh, We Are Among Minnesota exhibit at the Minnesota History Center, majority of the people heard about the event through social media. Hmm. <clears throat> and so um, I have a colleague once to say, well, why don't you put a newsletter out, a paper newsletter? I said, people don't even use paper <laughs> newsletter anymore. Paper. <laughs> it's, everything is on you know, social media. He said, well, I don't, I don't interact with social media. I don't have these accounts. I said, well, then you're missing out because here I am. I'm, I'm having conversation with my students, and I know what their mo- mood is, right? I mean, whether they're angry today, they're suicidal today, or whatever. I mean, I've, I've, I've helped uh, two people prevent suicide uh, through, through social media. And uh, so it's amazing, I mean, the platform. So if you're not using that and you're not being creative in using that to manage what you do, then I think that you're, you're a dinosaur. Well, <laughs> I, I know one of the challenges in the Hmong community is making sure the kids uh, – learn about their traditional culture and yeah. keep the language. That's an ongoing, is social media used for, for those goals? Yeah, it, it is for, uh, we, have a, we have a site basically uh, talked about just language and then a site talk about culture and a site that talks about history. And so using that to educate people, and it's just amazing. I mean, that's why when I post things on my Facebook pages to get reaction from people or uh, to get stories from people um, and oftentimes to share information with people. Um, and so I think it's it's been used in, in a very positive way. Reach them where they are. Absolutely. Well, we're sitting across from uh, Capella Tower, and there's a coffee shop on the first floor, Peace Coffee, Headwaters Peace Coffee, and it's mm-hmm. something that I was in part of making and creating many, many years ago, and now it's out in the in the world. But when they put in that coffee shop, there was a company who was – 
hired to sort of make the building cool so it attracted tenants. And so putting in a coffee shop was something that was cool. And then they ask everybody, well, how should the coffee shop, what should it have? And so one of the things that everybody said the coffee shop must have is a lot of coloring books and Crayolas, because <laughs> apparently folks working downtown heavily under stress or, you know, exchanging hog futures or whatever they're doing, when they come down for a coffee and want to hang out, they like to be creative. They like to pull open a coloring book and say, oh, I used to do this. <laughs> well, or, there's adult coloring books adult now. Adult coloring <laughs> books. And these, and, and these, you know, graphic novels, very important. You know, I mean, even the whole Black Panther phenomena. So these things of where they touch our hearts and our ability to physically sew something and make a textile art or paint or color or sing together or spoken word, whatever it is, it's making sure that these are available to all of society, not just to some, mm-hmm. that our young people and our old people have continue to have access throughout a whole life. Mm-hmm. And there have been you know, real advances uh, because we've had to confront all the people who came home with Vietnam with, uh, without a leg and were in a, in a wheelchair. We went and cut the curbs in my little hometown of every curb in 1968 in that period so that we could have everybody having access. And I hope that we keep incorporating the values of access to all of these special things because that's also something that people recognize when they come here is that you really do take care of making sure um, that things are are available to people. So there's um, a lot of access to things, to knowledge, to ideas when you have one of these festivals, um, talking about conferences today with our guests. Um, Social media, I think social media is so big because socialization is big. I mean, I think it's planted into our DNA that we get along with other people. And I have very mixed feelings about all the, the things that that distance you from what's in front of you. I was working downtown and I saw two girls walking down the street talking wildly and they were both talking into their phones. They weren't talking to each other, they were talking to somebody somewhere else. It's like, you're here now, why don't you take advantage of that? So there's something about the presence of, of, a, of a spectacle that you can go to and it's here and now. Mm-hmm. Together and yet apart. I mean, that's the thing that I try to, for our family gatherings, I just take pictures of people on their cell phones and I said, look at this, you know, we're here together and you're all, you're talking to each other across the room on the cell phone, <laughs> texting each other instead of talking to each other, you know, you're texting each other. And so it, it, it can be, you know, it can be bad as well as good to some extent. But I think young people nowadays is way too savvy and information that just on just on the fingertips right there. And, um, yeah, I, I I think it's interesting because I think there's a trend right now of people actually stepping back from social media. What's interesting is when you look at like high school age students uh, within the last maybe six years, like students that just graduated uh, this year as a senior and then back, there are actually more students who aren't on social media all the time. It's almost like they've come up in the time where 
okay, Facebook's here, Instagram is here. Uh, they they are used to that access to information and they understand how detrimental that can be. And then also, I mean, I've attended a couple weddings lately and who knew that there would be an announcement of the couple would like you to unplug for the wedding. <laughs> they would like you to be present at the wedding. And that that's happened at the last three weddings I've been to. So people are aware that it's an issue. It's a problem that people are, are on social media all the time. And I do really think that is where festivals, gatherings, yeah. uh, conferences, events allow people to break out of that. And having a notepad, writing things down instead of just digitally taking those notes can do so much, even if you did learn about that event online. Well, wedding wedding presents, a new meaning. The, uh, well, yeah, for me, if, if I really want to get an idea down, I take out my fountain pen and paper and yeah. and, and think that way. Uh, we just have a couple minutes left. Um, Mark, what are the chances of getting a, a World's Fair here, a World's Expo anytime soon, you think? Well, we're in the running for 2027, and we, at this moment, we have no competition. We did a really great <laughs> that's, job. That, in that's our, how we succeed best in Minnesota. <laughs> well, I, uh, we did a really, really great job in our first run. We, you know, we'd been absent from the organization and had hadn't paid our dues and all of this, so it took quite a bit of effort just to get in the process. People loved our bid. They loved our theme. They want this to happen back in the United States, and so they said immediately, get your bid in. And um, so far, and we actually, we just had a delegation come back from Paris, the, the big organization that decides meets twice a year. So we were over talking to everybody who was there and talking to our supporters and to others. Everybody is saying, we are so excited. And people had great ideas about things that should happen. For example, it's our country's 250th birthday in that time frame. And so there'll be a lot of things going on. You know, there's celebrations uh, uh, all over the country planned, like in Philadelphia and Washington and places. And so people are talking about how do we have those intersections of things. So we feel very positive about this. We're planning into this. And there will be a couple, one big World's Fair in between now and then in Dubai. And we'll have a big presence there as part of the U.S. Pavilion and all of that. So, you know, we're on a roll and um, we always advise that people get rested up because it'll so, be uh, I, I a get lot this on, of things. I want to get this on my calendar. What year is it again? So Mother's Day, 2027. Wow. It'll 2027. Open. So do our calendars go up to 2027 uh, in our Phones. Well, and Jasmine, well, we already should. know. Should. The, 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 um, the Writers' Cup is coming in 2028, so oh. this will be a kind of a mm. a, a, a warm up. Okay. For the next visit of the Writers' Cup, well, in Minnesota. I, I often don't know what I'm doing the next week, and here I've got uh, that that picked <laughs> out. So, Jasmine, uh, once again, uh, Yellow Summit coming to Vandalia Towers in St. Paul mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. September 14th. Yes. This year. It's so immediate. It is. It's like now. It is. It's exciting. It's uh, just a few months from now. We have our regular sell tickets. Early bird tickets are are gone, uh, but regular sell tickets are out there for $45. And we have some really incredible speakers. I mean, we have Chris Cloud, who was formerly at The Walker. We have some incredible AR, VR technologists, and this should be a really good event for people to experience yellow (laughs) and see how they could boost their creativity with technology. 
Okay, well, that's quite a challenge for all of us. Well, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Uh, Li Pao Zhang, Jasmine Russell, and Mark Ritchie. I'm Steve LeBeau, and also want to thank Dan Cook, the engineer. Thank you for listening to Synapse. Think Tank of the Air. I'm Leo Espinosa. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.